Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the game show that is sweeping the podcast. It is <laughs> Aslan, Gandalf, or Jesus. We have two contestants with us. We are recording live from Studio SNBA. Man, he hit the ground running with this bit, didn't he? He really did. Y'all, okay, if you're going to make fun of the bit, no. come up with your own bit. No worries. Okay? We've never done a bit this is exciting. This this is exciting, and I feel like you're mocking me, and I don't appreciate it. Uh, okay, go for it. <sighs> See how well read you losers are. Okay, for let me just wait. We haven't even. <laughs> I called our contestants losers before I introduced them. We have the one and only director of missions of the Sabine Natchez Baptist area, the Honorable Right Reverend. I almost called you Doctor, but it's just Master. It's just Master <laughs> Jimmy Neal. Thank you. It's good to be here. Second time on the podcast. Uh, eat that, Joni Burchett. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we have over here, as usual, Mr. Jared Hall. Yeah, I'm not a master. Sorry. Just bachelor. <laughs> bachelor Jared Hallier. I mean, I'm married. Sorry, Liz. Yeah, married uh, bachelor. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever. All right. So here's how the game works. I will read a quote, and then you will say if that quote is attributed to one Aslan the Lion. Wait, do we buzz in, or are we both guessing? No, you're both going to get a turn. Okay, so he'll have a turn. He'll be able to guess. Get, you're our honorable guest, so oh, you're going okay. first. Oh, okay, well then, that's great. Wait, so are we both quote. going on all of them? Okay. Or are we taking turns? Like, he, he does, does number turns. one. He does okay. number one. Okay. <laughs> well, you just jumped right in and all hit right. record. You didn't. Listen, okay, guys? Have you ever been on a game show and known Jared's what you were doing? Jared's led more game shows than... Okay, go, yeah, so, just, go ahead. You know what? Available for yeah. Christmas parties and... Yeah, it was a good bit, except that I got pulled up there for one that was embarrassing and was made mockery of. You did good, though. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Jimmy gets question number one. Question number one. And it's not a question. It's a quote. Does this quote go to Aslan, Gandalf, or Jesus? It's going to be so embarrassing when one of them is Jesus and we miss it. (laughs) Just say Jesus for all of them. Here we go. All things have been created by him, for him, through him. Okay. Go for it. I should have done more prep before we started. (laughs) That should be the tagline of our podcast. We should have prepared more. One hour a week. We should have prepared for <laughs> Quote number one. Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. I believe that would be Aslan. Uh, so You are correct, right. sir. <laughs> it is Aslan. That's right. All right. Let's see. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, moving Jesus on. talking to the, the sorcerer. Uh, All right. Wasn't there in First Samuel. So go ahead. Uh, uh, what's that? All right, next next one goes to you, Mr. Hallier. Here we go. Well, here at last, dear friends, on the shores of the sea comes the end of our fellowship in Middle Earth. Go in peace. I will not say, do not weep, for not all tears are in evil. That's Gandalf. You are correct, sir. Wow, you guys are killing this so far. All right. The word fellowship Brother Jimmy, are you ready? Witch. Here we go. Question number two. Okay. I am a lion in a series of children's books. <laughs> <laughs> Worst game ever. All right, one more, one more. Jared, this is for you. All right. To infinity <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> Let's start this thing. Good day, everybody. Welcome to the One Hour a Week podcast. 
I am Rusty Mott, alongside, as always, Jared Hallyer. Hey, everybody. We are excited to be with you today. Season 2, Episode 2. Jimmy left. Yeah, that's right. We just kicked him out of After here. After the game. You, see, you guys thought that we had him on for the whole episode. We we brought him in just for the game show just that little, we little worked. Teaser. We, we spent more time prepping the game show than we did this actual episode. <laughs> Which is not much. And yeah, late. I'm actually, I'm embarrassed because that should be a joke, but I think that's probably true. Uh, but you know y'all, what? we're still in recovery mode up in here, so. We shoot from the hip. It's been a little right. crazy. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. I've gotten some good feedback. Uh, Grace will kind of wreck you and, and help you at the same time, but that's what we all need. So thanks for listening and sharing that. And we're going to talk about something that certainly requires that we apply last week's conversation to this conversation if we're going to survive, if we're going to make it through this. So we're talking about criticism. Ugh. And when we think about criticism, the first thought that we have is that sound effect again, Jared. Ugh. Yeah, the ugh. Which mine was a little more like I ate something funny and I'm not feeling well sound. More, mine was more guttural. Yeah, ugh. yeah. It was a groaning. Like a like Hebrew a, yeah. pronunciation. Your bowels were yearning within you. Splexidzomai. <laughs> and mine was more like the modern day uh, version of my bowels yearning within me. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, so criticism, it's not something that anybody enjoys. I was actually just... Um, looking around on some blogs of things that pastors struggle with. And some of you probably received Tom Rainer's blog. Uh, the, I think he sends it out as an email that'll just kind of have a list. By the way, blogs, uh, keep it coming with the list because that's all we do anymore. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Like every popular blog is 12 things, this and that. Seven ways to. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But one of those that Tom does so well was, uh, I think it said 10 of the biggest struggles pastors have. So I thought, man, that that's kind of something to check out. And one of them was handling criticism. How do we deal with it? What does that look like in our lives? So we're going to kind of talk about how we do that, how we handle criticism, how we uh, respond in grace, how we maybe even receive criticism that might perhaps be helpful to us. And then we'll kind of pivot to the danger of us developing a critical spirit and how we can maybe fight against that. So Jared, let me just throw it to you to start. And I was just going to point out, I don't know if, any, if you can hear the phone ringing in the background. I can hear it, but I don't know if they'll it's hear picking it. Up There's a phone recording. ringing. There's a phone. We'll just say it. Which, by the, by the way, real quick before we dive into criticism, if you hear a phone ringing or some other nonsense happening in the background, we're recording today from the SNBA office. Yes, uh, Sabine so. Natchez Baptist area. Very That's thankful. why Jimmy was able to pop in for a minute. Very thankful to Brother Jimmy Neal and Miss Teresa and Miss Kim for letting us come and crash their library for just a little while so we could get a little uh, time to record. So let's be critical. Let's I mean, be critical. Uh, let's yeah. talk about criticism. So what what areas as a pastor and church leader do you find that you get the most criticism for? I know the old jokes are, oh, you know, they'll complain about your preaching. I know for me, I don't hear uh, criticism about my preaching as much as some other things. So what kinds of things do you catch the most? Yeah, I think it's important to to mention that. For the most part, I do think that folks have a pretty healthy respect for the pulpit Mm -hmm. and for the preaching of the Word. And that is one area that almost can can seem off limits. Now, I know there are probably some of you listening who have not had that experience. Uh, I, I know I have friends who do receive criticism about their preaching, whether it's they preach too long or they they're just going through a book of the bible and they really don't want them to do that like there there are people who feel open to 
criticize the preaching, but that's not really accepted generally in the church. But I know for me, and, and right now, you uh, help lead worship in your church. Mm-hmm. You're the music pastor as well as your other responsibilities. When I was the music minister, I remember getting very frustrated because it felt like to me that music was open season. Yeah. And if you got a, a hot opinion on music, on how I'm doing my job, you come right on up and say it. Like people going out the back door never shake the pastor's hand and say, eh, that sermon was all right. Right. But they don't really think anything of walking up to the music guy and saying, what happened on that one song? Hey, I hate that song. You know, or yeah, well, why don't we ever do that song anymore? And and I remember I did not receive that well. And I, I am immature, but I was even more immature than I am now. So try to imagine that. It was very difficult for me to receive that kind of criticism. And I always longed for the day that I would be a pastor and wouldn't have to deal with that kind of petty criticism Little did anymore. You know. Yeah, little did I know that I was just opening myself up to a world of of uh, because we talk about the glass house, you yeah. know, in terms of your family and to me it's not even just the glass house in terms of, you know, our church is really great for my family and they're really great to me. By the way, maybe we should preface this from the jump. I don't know. I, I don't think a whole lot of Cornerstone folks listen. I don't know if a lot of your church folks do. We love our churches. Oh, yeah. They are so good to us. Super So gracious. don't don't hear us talking about criticism as being a criticism of you yeah, we're not or calling. even the past churches we've been to. But it is a reality because when we deal with people, as we'll get to in a little while, we're all critical in one way or another. And some of us probably don't handle that as well as we should. So we want to talk about how we can bear with one another when it comes to the issue of criticism. So please just know, it's weird to offer a disclaimer this early in, but I just felt like we needed to do that. Uh, but so for me, to answer the question like five minutes later, I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> uh, so how, how, what are the, is, the areas where I handle criticism? I think, like I said, that glass house mentality. I feel like everything in every decision that I make in my job on a day-to-day basis is up for debate and up for evaluation by 300 plus people. And, and it's really accepted. Not very many people go to their jobs and have that on them, you know, but I feel like it ministry lends itself to you. You work for us is kind of how people see it a lot of times. So it's like, Anything you do is up for criticism. And the critics are the minority. I mean, that's why we put the disclaimer out there, because for the most part, I mean, 98% of the people in our church are just, they are supportive and good. And so when we do hear the criticisms, um, often they come from the same people, the same pockets of people. And even then, it's not constant. I mean, even those people, you know, come up every once in a while. I think where I hear it most is not in the public ministry stuff as much as it is in the the day-to-day office work type of stuff or the administrative stuff, you know, we hear, I hear things about the budget or the money or the buildings or, you know, you wrote a blog on your, your, what is yours? Is it rustymont.com? Yes. Yes. Um, Sorry, I answered that off mic. Yes. Now get, we're recording yeah. Rusty. www.rustymont.com. You know, people who, who talk about not getting visited from the pastor enough or I had a surgery and nobody was there. Yeah, but you didn't tell us it was happening. Yeah. Um, or we, you know, you haven't, you're a member, but I'm putting member in air quotes here, but you haven't been to church in six years. Um, Those kinds of things. But I think all of them kind of come back to the same, you know, is a critical spirit a selfish spirit? Do they all come back to, I I don't, it's not going the way I think it should, or I'm not getting what I think I should. Is criticism at its heart a sign of selfishness? I think we tend to automatically lump it in that. 
and I think there is what you know people talk about constructive criticism yeah. which we'll move to in a second right. and in the text message to you this morning I said deconstructive criticism which I don't think is a term people use <laughs> destructive but, maybe but I do think people there is a criticism and when we hear the word criticism we immediately think of it in the negative light and that's kind of where we're at now so we'll kind of unpack that some right. but I do think that there is kind of what you said there's a selfishness behind it where it uh, it, it comes from a couple things. Number one, like you said, not getting your way, but also number two, thinking I know everything and I can do it better. Right. And that's where I fall. You mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about ourselves. So let's transition there. That's where I, when I'm being critical of somebody, I have to take a step back and realize that's what I'm doing. We've had this conversation yeah. off mic where we've used other words to describe ourselves yeah. in these situations. But when I look at somebody and go, oh, I they're not doing a good job or they should be doing this. What I'm really saying is if I was in their seat, I would fix everything. That's I get right. this hero mentality. Like I should put my resume in there. If I, if they would give me two years, I've even said that to you. If they would just give me two years in that seat, I would turn that sinking ship around. Yeah. Which is a terrible metaphor. And I would say, yeah, of course you could, man. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and But I'm silently thinking in my head, yeah, but give me like six months less than that and I could, months, I could fix yeah. it. So we're yeah, such, it's, we're such it's really easy to, to kind of fall into that. So I think when, when we're thinking about criticism in that way, we need to understand when, when receiving negative criticism from people, deconstructive or destructive criticism, we need to be aware <laughs> when we're receiving that, that number one, we are very capable of being that person. Yeah. So even though that guy seems like public enemy number one, you're that guy a lot of times without even realizing you're that guy. So we need to have grace for that person because, but by the grace of God, so be I, and give me about 20 minutes and I probably will be, right? right? So in that moment, we, we need to understand that there's that, but we also need to understand what you hear people say a lot and is true, but we usually throw them out completely at that moment. But have you heard people talk about that even in that kind of negative criticism, there probably is still a, gir- a kernel, gernel, a gernel, a, a grain, a, a grain, nugget, a nugget, a, a little sliver. There is a little piece of truth there that would probably help you yeah. if you could take that negative criticism and you could understand because of grace, mm-hmm. I don't need their approval. So they, they may be ugly to me, but I'm going to have grace for them. I'm going to love them anyways. And I'm going to really think about what they said because there might very well be some truth somewhere in that. If you take off the the facade of their pride or their frustration and any personal baggage and get to it, maybe I should think about what they're saying. And even if you end up evaluating it and saying there's no merit to any of that junk, which may happen, even if you do that, at least you've gone through the exercise of thinking through the issue instead of demonizing the person who brings the issue to you, because that's my struggle. Yeah. Like if you come to me with one negative criticism, you are lumped into that group. Right. And I am done with you, man. I will, I will just wipe my hands of you and say, oh, he's that guy or they're that person who's always going to have a complaint. They're always going to come. Well, I, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, if and they're in our church, they're one of our they're one of our sh- sheep, right? If we're the shepherd, they're one of our sheep, and so we can't just toss them out of the yard. Um, I know you've heard it said before that it's hard to hate somebody that you're praying for, and so that's something else I try to do. Even if they come to me and they're ugly about it, I try to see past the frustration and think, you know, they're probably hurt on some. I think level. it was Kesha that said that. Kesha, <laughs> you mean Ked Dollar Sign? Ha? Yeah, do- yeah. 
and so, yeah, we, we got to pray for that person, and that kind of alleviates the frustration that we might have with them. When I was at Peachtree in Jasper, I was there for seven years, uh, we had a, a guy come to my office, and he just he wore me out over budget issues. I mean, he, he had a key to the church. He was one of our groundskeeper kind of guys, um, and he chewed me up one side and down the other, and we walked out in the parking lot, and he just kept letting me have it, and he took the key off his key ring and slammed it in my hand and said, you'll never see me in this church again, and he peeled out of the parking lot, and he held true to that promise. He never came back to the church, and this was 10 years ago now, so like you said, I was 10 years less mature than I am now, uh, which I haven't come very far, but I remember just being so, I, I did that though. I demonized him. I was so mad and so hurt, and this was, this was my first pastorate, and I was mid-20s, and thought I was doing a pretty good job, and here's this guy that I trusted and loved, and he shows up out of the blue. I mean, he called me out of the blue, and it was not uncommon for him to come by and have a cup of coffee at the office. So when he said, hey, I want to come talk to you, I was like, yeah, come on. And then he did that, and um, and it probably wasn't as bad as I remember it being just because I was so hurt by it, but I was guilty of that. I Man, I, I hated him. I was so hurt and so mad and told that story not to a lot of people, but to probably too many people, you know, three or four or five people when they said, well, where, where's he? Why didn't he come? And, oh, let me tell you what he did. In hindsight, maybe he had some good points, but I, I never saw him because uh, the way de- in which he presented it, he delivered it wrong and I took it wrong. and It was just a bad situation all around. I think that's some wisdom that we're unintentionally mining here. <laughs> oh, no, we worked it this way. We planned it. But thinking about how we we kind of attributed negative criticism to pride and not getting their way. But I've also realized, and I think it's kind of an underlying realization that I'm just kind of now verbalizing, that a lot of times people's criticism and concerns with us in ministry are not coming from a selfish place or a prideful place, but it's coming for a real love for the church yeah. and a fear that our actions and our decisions will hurt the thing that they love very, very much. Yeah. And I know I've come into that being kind of a non-traditional pastor, uh, even of a somewhat non-traditional church, but we've got a lot of very traditional people in a kind of non-traditional church. So anytime we change something, man, people get worked up and uh, make a decision. And I mean, people are, you know, in their Sunday school class saying, well, we just need to pray for our leadership that God would open up their eyes. And when I hear that, like it's making me want to go and fight them, not really fight them, (laughs) but just show up at their house and be like, what's your deal? But at the end of the day, like in those moments, I have to realize, man, why are they praying about it? Because they really care about this church, and they really think that the decision that our leadership team has made is going to bury the church. Now, uh, you know, God never showed us that we were wrong, and I I don't know if they feel like we were right yet or if they're just going along with it, but... I have had to realize that a lot of times the complainers or those who are critical are actually the ones who kind of care the most about the church yeah. and show up the most and do the most. So I realize that that you can't demonize those folks because a lot of them, even though they are approaching it wrong, and I, I, they're not listening to the podcast, so we're not really <laughs> going to talk about how you should approach it, but even if they're approaching it wrong, don't demonize them because there is a, a real good chance that it's actually coming from a place of real love for their church and even you maybe as their minister that they think that you're wrong, but they just don't really have the maturity to be able to handle it. Kind of like your kid, man, you know, if if we tell Etta she can't have another cookie, she's liable to freak out and throw a major fit. fit. Yeah. 
and it makes you want to like pick her up and wear her out and send her outside and say, you can't live in our home anymore. No, that's absurd, right? If, if I kicked my three-year-old out of the house for throwing a fit about a cookie because she's not mature enough to know how to respond, so we have to teach her how to respond. So even in the way we respond to criticism, we're teaching our critics how to respond to adversity in situations that they don't particularly agree with. It's hard to take criticism, too, because one of the first things we learned at Bible college, uh, getting ready for this professional ministry gig, is I remember several professors and even pastor mentors saying that when you go into full-time ministry, it's not just what you do, it's who you are. Right, so this isn't. We don't really clock out of our job. It's it's, and so when somebody criticizes our work, it does feel very very personal. Um, yeah, and, for and sure. like you said, they don't they don't think about it in those terms because people who are maybe they have a critical spirit and they are critical of everything. They're in the church building three hours a week tops. If we have a meeting that they come to, maybe four to five hours a week, and we're there forty plus hours. I mean we. We pour our lives in that. So we do take it real personal. And so we, it would be good for us to keep those things in mind. Yeah, They are part of our flock and congregation. They have deep attachments to some of these things that we're trying to change or, or do different things with. We're there a lot. You know, we just see things through different lenses. Um, so as the recipients of criticism, yeah, we just need to hold our tongues longer, pray more, be more gracious and patient because it can sting. It's no real doubt. personal when they don't mean for it to. Well, and even talking about that made me think, again, kind of what I was saying earlier, for their love for the church. It's a very personal thing for everybody involved. Yeah. The church is a family. Think of where you have the most drama in your life. It's probably your family. Yeah. Well, guess what? The church is a family, and everybody is very passionate. Everybody loves the church, and because of that, you, you're you passionate about the things that you care the most about. So kind of realizing that we're all on the same team is a very helpful thing in dealing with either positive or negative criticism. So I think that's just something we need to keep in mind. Can we kind of shift gears a little bit? Go constructive? Yeah, let's let's think about how we kind of receive feedback. Uh, what, what if, have you been guilty of this, maybe? Um, I know that I have. Having what is constructive feedback and accepting it rather than constructive feedback as negative criticism, even though the person was genuine and had a point and even approached it in the right way. Have you ever had to deal with that? Where where they're trying to be helpful and I take it the wrong way? Yes. Yes, and then I've had to go back later and apologize and say, uh, so I, I preached a sermon one time. <clears throat> I was preaching through the life of Moses and uh, did a series on Sunday mornings. We get to the end of Moses' life, and I decided on a Sunday morning, let's have a funeral. And so I talked to our music minister, and I said, we're going to do this morning service exactly like a funeral. We're going to have a, a funeral for Moses. And instead of bulletins, we printed up a, a program. You know, I had Psalm 23. I found a Google image of Moses and put it on the front, and we had a funeral service. <clears throat> and I even talked to a funeral home in Jasper and borrowed a casket. And we had the casket at the front of the building, and we did a couple songs, and I read an obituary, and we had a funeral service for Moses. I thought it was a cool idea and gleaned some lessons and kind of put a, a bow on the end of that series. And afterwards, one of our church members came up and she was really distraught over the whole thing. And she said, uh, and her point was that it was insensitive, that there had actually been a lot of funerals in that room. And she had attended a lot of funerals in that room. She said, and I just, I just hate to think that there might be somebody who came in and maybe the last time they were here was for a funeral and they came in and saw the casket and just kind of brought up all those 
And I got real defensive. I was like, this was a cool idea, and it went exactly like we wanted it to, and it went well, and it was, uh, you know, memorable. And I got kind of defensive, and I just kind of blew her off. And then later in the week, as I was just – how you know how you do. You replay those yeah. conversations over and over. I thought she probably has – I mean, she was probably one of those people. When she said there might be some people yeah. here, Yeah, she probably was one of those people. Yeah. And so I had to call her up and apologize and say, you know, you were right. I didn't think of it from that perspective. And, and so I'm just trying to – that's a, I know that's a real specific kind no, of example. No. And, and I think a lot of people probably can't relate to doing a fake funeral in their church, but in turn can relate to times where uh, I know that... Where we just, I just didn't think of it from those perspectives. Yes, and, and you don't, because again, so pride leads to the negative criticism, but pride also leads to not being able to receive helpful, yeah. constructive criticism. Yeah. And it's a... It is very difficult, and uh, we we are here at the SNBA, and Brother Jimmy joked because we told him what we were going to talk about, and he said uh, he said that I was going to say, yeah, two doors down is the most critical person in my ministry, <laughs> but but it's different, and I, I know it can be perceived that way sometimes, and he and I, it's, you know, we're just making jokes, but there are times where if you're not careful, you can you can hear something that really is i know that brother jimmy has my back i know that he's one of my dearest friends in the world and that he is for me and wants to help me but even people like that even friends you can misunderstand stuff because of that pride that's there because again we want to be the best at everything and we know everything and how, why would you come at me and trying to correct what i'm doing uh, so it is we have to get a little bit better at being able to receive that criticism but but developing that humility is really, really difficult. Well, the source plays a part in it, too. Let's come back to humility in a second. Because the, the lady in this example was one of our best church members and one of our personal closest friends. And so that helped me to come back to the conversation later. Uh, I was talking to a guy who I won't name drop. Oh, here. You dropped this here. Uh, but he has a very public job, and he, he does things that it, a lot of people in our circle of friends know who he is. And he was telling me that one time after a, a talk that he gave, some guy he never had met walked up and said, you know, introduced himself and said, yeah, I've been following you for a couple of years now. And then he just kind of, he did criticize him. He, he said, you did this and you shouldn't have done that. And you got to keep this in mind. And he said, and I stopped him and I said, you know, we literally just met two minutes ago. You don't have permission to be that voice in my life. And he said, I just kind of shut the guy down and walked away from the conversation. because. And so there has to be people or I guess I should say there have to be people in our lives that we give permission to. You're one of those people for me where you we've had the conversation, Rusty, you have my permission to give constructive criticism because I know your heart and I know All right, you love folks, me. we'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> I, got some, I got some things to cover. <laughs> but we we need to be humble enough that we give some people permission that we have some friendships that we know that is allowed so that it doesn't come from the strangers or the – so we're not just hearing it from those fringe voices. You know what I mean? Like we have to surround ourselves with some people that we trust and love that have permission to give us constructive criticism. And then when they show up and do it, we got to be willing to take it. Well, I think about Proverbs 27, 6, that tells us that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Yeah. And I think, um, and it said the wounds of a friend, actually, if you look up Proverbs 27, 6, it says the wounds of a friend can be more trusted than the kisses of the enemy. Yeah. And I think we naturally would prefer the praise, even if it's from people who don't have our best interest in heart. 
but just like you said, having those people who, man, it, it is open for you to speak into my life, to challenge me and to push me on some things. And I, I'm thankful, you know, our church is elder led, which is a little different. That may be an, a fun conversation to have one day on the podcast, but we're being an elder led church. I am not the guru. I'm not the guy. There are two other elders right now that are every bit as much the pastor as I am. So there are times where we have like a group text message and I had just gotten, it was before we hired brother Matthew and, you know, church of 300 plus people. And I was the only staff member for, you know, this was year four of that. And we, anyways, it wasn't 300 the whole time, but it had gotten to that point and I was just burnt out. And instead of asking for information and asking for help in our group text message, it was basically me complaining and griping in that text message. So like, it'd be like, I got four hospital visits to make, you know, and in my head, what I was hoping was one of them would say, well, I'll help. But, but they weren't, they weren't listening for that. They were just, you know, just kind of looking at it and going, oh, sucks to be him, you know? And finally, one of my elders sent me a private text message and said, hey, maybe you should text the group less. And, you know, if you need something, ask. Yeah. Otherwise, just kind of keep some of that to yourself. And if you need someone to talk to, call me. We'll go get a Route 44 and drive around for a couple hours, you know. And how did you receive that? Oh, I was I was not happy. <laughs> I was like, easy for you to say from your ivory tower, <laughs> brother so-and-so. And, and literally about 30 minutes later, I was I, I actually opened up the group text message. Right back through it. T- talking about ha- hashtag humility, if right. we can get back to humility scrolling through that and just seeing me being like a whiny little toddler to that group of men. Um, just thankful for their patience. And I'm also thankful that they finally realized, Hey, we ought to get this guy some help or he's going right. to, you know, jump off a bridge. Well, We were talking last week. You were talking, there was an idea that you had had and you brought it to them. And after a month or so of praying and talking, they came back and said, eh, let maybe let, let's not do that right now. That and one's too fresh. Is it too, too soon? <laughs> no. But what question did I ask you? I asked you, when you're in those meetings, do you trust those men? Yeah. The elders and deacons in that room, do you yeah. trust them? And you said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's one of those times that we just have to consider the source. Who's bringing yes. these things to us? Yes. Do I really trust them and do they have my best, best interest at exactly. heart? Exactly. So how can we develop that humility? Back to that. How can we develop that humility where we're able to receive that kind of criticism? And, let, and let's be honest. Because we're in a position where we have to handle even negative criticism with grace. So how can we humble ourselves to be able to receive negative or constructive criticism in a way that is helpful for us and those who are talking to us? One of the biggest tells for me has been what we talked about at the end of last week, just remembering that we all have received the same grace and we're all received through the same faith and the same Jesus. And so that doesn't put me above the people I'm working with where they don't have the right to criticize me. That's where my pride comes in. But when I stay humble and remember we're all saved by the same grace, um, that allows me to be more gracious with them and toward them, knowing that, yeah, we're serving the same kingdom and building the same church and loving the same Jesus. And so if they love me enough to come to me and point out these things about me or the church, that we're in this together. And so if I've been shown that much grace by Jesus, I need to be willing to show that much grace to the people around me. So that helps me stay humble. Just remembering my place in the kingdom. I'm not above these people. I'm in the trenches with them. We're, we're all, you know, like you said last week, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all standing there together. And so just keeping in mind that, that the same grace saved all of us helps me stay humble 
and hear those things and just be more gracious toward them. I don't have it perfected. I still get defensive and prideful often, but that certainly helps. So humbling yourself by remembering that we're all at the same place and that we're all in the middle of this journey of grace together. I I would say for me, one of the big struggles in dealing with criticism is that I'm a people pleaser. And because I'm a people pleaser, I tend to find my affirmation and approval in other people. So I, I want them to, by agreeing with me and thinking I'm doing a great job, I found, find my validation. So the the way that I humble myself is by recognizing that that I do suck at life, <laughs> that I'm not awesome, and that the only thing that's good in me is Jesus. Yeah. And and the, the good thing about that, the freeing thing about that, is that when my validation and my affirmation and all of that comes from Jesus' work on the cross and because of the gospel, I know that I'm. it, it actually gives me a humility, but it also gives me a confidence, not in myself, but it's a, a confidence that is in a sure thing. And my self-confidence can really be rattled when you critique me. But my confidence in God is unwavering in the face of critique. So uh, to, so we got to humble ourselves, but we also got to get confident, but we got to place that confidence in the right source, right. and that's right. the gospel. So we have covered a lot of ground today, good critics, bad critics, criticizing each other. Maybe you have some criticisms for us for this podcast. We will humbly hate you if you send them well, to us. Well, hey, if, no, you, if you want to send them to us, here's an easy way to do that. You can tweet me at Jared Hollier. You can tweet him at Jared Hollier. Wait a minute. If you have any <laughs> praise you would like to heap upon us, you probably tweet it. me at Bro Rusty Mod. You can tweet us at, is it Hour A Week Pod? Yes, Hour A Week Pod. You can tweet if you hate the way it sounds. You can tweet our audio guy at is this Pat O. Is this Pat O? Oh, wait a second, everybody. He's oh wait, no. that was last week. <laughs> that was pretty cool though. It was a God moment. Yeah, he just you know? walked right in. I'm I'm not calling Pat God, but he uh, walked in. And he gave himself some. He also added your cricket sound effects. I heard Did you that. Hear that? that was so funny. Legendary. Well done. You're a legend, Pat. You heard it here first. That's it. What are we talking about next week? Next week we are going to talk about TBD. The big dummy. That actually meant to be determined. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. We have enjoyed this conversation. We hope you have as well. Uh, Holler at us. Let us know if you got any topics you would like us to talk about in the Uh, future. I got some some criticism for you as soon as you hit stop over there. I'll listen to your sermons from last Sunday. I'm going to humble myself and listen carefully right after James only that's my criticism I think I'm going to drop the mic on that